Good morning. You all hear me? Okay, good. Um, so it's really good to be back here with all of you. It's been a couple months since I've been in this room um, because a couple months ago, Sherry and I had our baby daughter, Chloe. And yes, we have been enjoying the adventures of parenthood, the joys, the sleepless nights. Um, I know that some of you won't hear a word I say unless you actually see some pictures of Chloe, so we have some glam shots. That's Athleisure Chloe, another one. That's Chloe at 4 a.m. keeping us up. And that's how Chloe wakes up, just smiling. So uh, yeah, she's adorable. We love her. We thank you for all your prayers and support over the last couple of months. And we're excited for all of you to meet her soon. Um, so jumping into, into today's message, uh, today's message is for any of us who are going through some kind of suffering. There are many different kinds of suffering too. Maybe you're suffering based on your relationship status, right? You've sought God for a spouse and until now, he still hasn't delivered on that. Maybe work is a source of anxiety and frustration for you. Maybe you're miserable in your work or it's very stressful or you work with people that you just can't stand. Maybe you're someone who desires children and that's another promise God has yet to deliver on for you. Maybe you've experienced loss, the loss of a loved one, a miscarriage, the loss of a job, the loss of relationships. Maybe it's physical pain that you're in, chronic illness, debilitating pain that just causes you discomfort. Maybe it's mental anguish. Maybe your mind just feels like it's suffocating you. Maybe you don't know where your bills are gonna get paid from or how your rent is gonna get paid this month. Maybe for you it's not just one thing. Maybe you've heard this list and you've thought to yourself, check, 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 check. You're seeing suffering on every side and you've just been served up a buffet of suffering. If any of this describes you, and I imagine given the past two and a half years it describes many of us in this room, then today's message is for you and before I get into the meat of the message, I want to address something that's going to be missing today, which is any specific resolution or solution to whatever suffering you're going through. And as someone who's gone through it, I can tell you that I'm honestly sorry that I can't confidently say when or how God is going to deliver you from your suffering. But my hope is that as a result of this morning's message, you'll be able to take away some hope and encouragement in the middle of whatever dark valley you're in. So three sections to this morning's message. First, why am I suffering? Second, what is to be gained from my suffering? And third, how can I suffer well? First, why am I suffering? Second, what is to be gained from my suffering? And third, how can I suffer well? So first, why am I suffering? Before I answer that question, I think it's important that we see just how normal suffering is for people who choose to follow God. In, the, in his letter to Timothy, Paul writes, suffer together with me as a good soldier of Christ. Paul is saying suffering is normal for people who are following Christ. And Paul knows, we just read Acts together as a church, we saw that Paul experienced all kinds of suffering. He catalogs this suffering in 2 Corinthians when he says he's been beaten. Five times he received 39 lashes from the Jewish leaders. He's been shipwrecked, lost at sea, imprisoned, naked, hungry, on the run from authorities. If there's a kind of suffering, you name it, Paul has experienced it. And what he says to Timothy is this is totally normal 
for those who follow Jesus. And he didn't make this up, he got it from Jesus himself, who in Matthew 16 says, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Jesus is saying suffering is normal for his followers. And throughout scripture, we see this. All the heroes of the faith. Abel offers a great sacrifice to God, his brother kills him. Abraham and Sarah, sent away from their families, wandering in the wilderness, expecting a child for decades. Joseph, beaten up by his brothers, thrown in prison, falsely accused of rape, forgotten about. Moses, exiled for 40 years in Midian, goes, rescues the Israelites, Again, another 40 years in the wilderness. Two-thirds of his life spent wandering around the desert. David, a fugitive on the run from Saul for decades. Job lost his entire livelihood, all his children, his health. John the Baptist was beheaded. Most, if not all, of Jesus' disciples were martyred. And so on and so forth, all throughout Scripture, we see that suffering is the norm for God's people. So... Far from, an, far from being an anomaly, experiencing suffering is what it is to be a follower of God. So back to the question of why, it's not just a norm, it is a defining characteristic. It's a hallmark. And I actually looked up the definition of hallmark to make sure I was using it in the right context here, and the historical definition blew my mind. A hallmark was something in Britain that was used to stamp precious gold, silver, or platinum to certify its standard of purity. So the suffering is the hallmark that stamps our standard of faith in Jesus. Peter articulates this beautifully in 1 Peter when he says, you have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at Jesus Christ. You've been grieved by various trials so that the genuineness of your faith can be found to praise, honor, and glory at Jesus Christ. The purpose of suffering is to prove the genuineness of our faith, to certify our standard of purity. When we choose to follow Jesus, he hands us a cross. When we choose to follow God, he may at any point say, I want to prove whether this one is faithful. I want to prove whether this one is certifiably faithful. And so we suffer. We take up our crosses. We're denied the things we so desperately want. Our tears are our food, like David says. We beg for the cup of suffering to pass. And we endure because God has marked us. He has marked us as his followers, and he wants to certify our standard of faith. Which brings us to the second section, second question. What is to be gained from suffering? Because if you're sitting here listening to the first section of this message, that's not a good advertisement for following Jesus at all. It's honestly kind of circular. I follow Jesus. He's going to put me through suffering, and that'll prove that I follow Jesus. doesn't make sense unless there's some upside, and thankfully there is. Paul goes on to say, if anyone competes, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The farmer who works hard must be the first to receive a share of the crops. Paul is saying there's upside. There's a crown to be gained. There's a crop to be harvested from suffering. The upside is akin to the type of upside a victorious athlete receives 
or a farmer who's been sowing and waiting for the harvest to come receives. And he, once again, he didn't make this up, he got it from Jesus. Immediately after Jesus tells us to take up our cross, he says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus says there's tremendous upside to suffering. If we suffer for his sake, we'll find what is truly life, what our life was intended to be, our most fulfilled version of life. And he also says there's a downside to not suffering. He says if we try to hold on to all the things we hold so dear, we'll end up losing it all. But let's turn our attention to the tremendous upside. In their letters in the New Testament, Paul and James point to two kinds of upside that we can see from suffering. There's upside in this life, benefits in this life, and upside in the life to come. First, James, in James 1, 2 through 4 says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. In Romans 5, it says, we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. Those highlight the benefits that we receive in this life. James is saying we can count it joy when we go through suffering because patience and perfection and being complete and lacking nothing are on the other side of that. In this life, the upside is perfection, our refining, our becoming more like Christ. Patience, learning perseverance, learning contentment, actually feeling and knowing that you lack nothing. When was the last time you felt like you lacked nothing? James is saying that suffering is the path to contentment. It's the path to character transformation. Listen, God cares more about our character, our souls, than he does about our circumstances. And he won't stop trying to perfect us, trying to make us more like Christ, and he will use our circumstances to do that. And so those are the benefits in this life, transformed character, refining, becoming more like Christ, character transformation. And then there are also the benefits of the life to come. Two more scriptures I want to look at that highlight this. First, Romans 8, 16 to 18. Paul writes, the spirit himself confirms with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together with him for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Paul in this passage is distinguishing between heirs and co-heirs. Everyone who chooses to follow Jesus is entitled to an inheritance as a child of God. But he says there's a specific additional inheritance for those that suffer with Christ. He says that we get to be co-heirs with Jesus if we suffer with him. What does that mean? I don't fully know, but we can look at some clues in scripture that help us understand what a share in Christ's inheritance might be. We know that Jesus has all dominion and all authority. We know that he's established his kingdom, that he's gonna be the reigning king and his kingdom is gonna reign over all creation. And so a share in his inheritance might mean reigning alongside him. Those who suffer with him get to take their place in his royal family as dukes and duchesses in his kingdom. 
That's pretty exciting. What could be better for type A overachievers like us who are always looking for the next career step, the next career ladder, the next big job? And Jesus says if we suffer with him, he's going to give us the best vocation. He's going to give us the best title as his co-heirs. And Paul goes on to say that we'll also be glorified with him, that our sufferings can't even compare to the glory that will be revealed in us. Now, glory is one of these Christianese terms that and it's hard to understand. It, for me, it conjures gold-plated everything and organ music, but it just means the same thing that it means in non-religious contexts like sports, just a much, much better version of that. A much better version of the glory we might experience when our team wins the national championship, like my Georgia Bulldogs just did after 40 years of coming up short. Go dogs. It's that pride, that joy, that elation, that greatness, a much, much better version of that, so much so that our sufferings seem like nothing. And Paul echoes this in 2 Corinthians 4 when he says, our affliction, our light affliction works to produce for us an eternal weight of glory, a heavy glory, a glory that's so heavy that it can't be taken away, it can't be moved, so heavy that our afflictions just seem light, seem light as a feather. This eternal glory is the infinite upside of our suffering. So what's to be gained from our suffering? There's upside in this life in the form of transformed character, perseverance, patience, contentment, and upside in the life to come in the form of a movable, unshakable, joyful glory and a special share in Christ's inheritance. Which brings us to the last section of this message. Knowing why we suffer and what's to be gained from our suffering Final question is, how can we suffer well? And as I go into this section, I think about a quote from Vince Lombardi where he said, show me a good loser and I'll show you a loser. And when he said that, he's saying, somebody who's really invested in winning, they're not able to put on a good face. They're not able to take it lightly. And I think the same can be said for someone who's really in the middle of intense suffering. And so the only thing I want to say is, when I talk about suffering well, it's not meant for us to think about minimizing our suffering or acting like we're not suffering at all. These are just helpful ways of suffering that can encourage us and help us through our suffering. So five modes of suffering, suffering well that I see in scripture. One, dovetailing off the last section, suffer for the upside rewards. Keep in mind that transformed character is on the other side of our suffering. Contentment is on the other side of our suffering. Glory is on the other side of our suffering. A share in Christ's dominion and authority is on the other side of our suffering. Abundant life is on the other side of our suffering. Treasures in heaven are on the other side of our suffering. Keeping these in mind won't make it any easier, any less painful as we suffer, but perhaps a little bit more bearable knowing the incredible rewards that are on the other side. Second, suffer one day at a time. Oftentimes when we're in the middle of intense suffering, we feel that we don't have the strength to endure however long our suffering is going to last, especially when that timing is uncertain. We imagine we'll drown and succumb to it if it goes on for weeks or years or months or for the rest of our lives. And whether we know the expiration date or not, we often think that we have to get through the entirety of our suffering based on what we can see in the tank today. 
We think we have to get through the entirety of our suffering based on the emotional, spiritual, financial resources that we see in the, on the, in the tank today. But Jesus taught us to live one day at a time when he says, when he teaches us to pray, give us our daily bread. He knows that the Father gives us exactly what we need each day. He teaches us what's in Lamentations 3, that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, which means that we can use up everything that's in the tank today and trust that the tank will be completely refilled tomorrow and refilled every subsequent tomorrow to get us through that day's sufferings. We never have to live through tomorrow's sufferings on today's mercies. Tomorrow will have its own mercies to get us through tomorrow's suffering. And so we can suffer one day at a time. Third, suffering community with other believers. Suffering is meant to be done in the context of community. And Paul goes on to, as Paul's encouraging Timothy, he says, suffer together with me. He reminds Timothy of his own suffering. He shows Timothy that they're in this together. And you know, sometimes when we're in the middle of suffering, it makes us wanna keep our distance. It makes us want to withdraw. We don't want people to see us at our most vulnerable and weakest. But suffering in community with believers is powerful for two reasons. First, it reminds us we're not alone. We're not cursed. God doesn't have it out for us. Rather, it is indeed a hallmark to certify our standard of faith and our, the genuineness of our faith. And second, it's support. Others who can pray with us, lift up our hands when we're weary, encourage us. So when we're in the middle of suffering, suffer in community with others. It doesn't have to be everybody. You don't have to be totally transparent with everybody, but find those two or three inner circle people that you can bring into your pain and that can lift you up. By the way, this is what the ideal community group looks like. It's sharing in each other's sufferings as if they're your own and sharing in each other's triumphs as if they're our own. Fourth, suffer together with Christ. As Paul continues to encourage Timothy, he lays out some truths about suffering with Jesus. He says, if we died with him, we will live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. This is not only reiterating the rewards from suffering, but it also shows us that we're to suffer with Jesus alongside him. It means entering into his sufferings and allowing him to enter into ours. Meditating on how he suffered, understanding how he empathizes deeply with what we're going through. He knew the worst of rejection and scorn and shame and sorrow and anguish. He knew what it was like to feel forsaken by God. When we see that Christ has experienced what we have and worse, we can then invite him into our sufferings to take on the worst of it as he's already done on the cross, to share his resurrection power with us, which defeated death and will defeat all suffering in the end, and invite his spirit to empower us to endure. That's how we suffer with Christ. And fifth and finally, we suffer boastfully. Once again, Paul provides a great example of this. In that catalog of suffering I talked about earlier in 2 Corinthians, Paul is actually bragging about his suffering. Where others in the Corinthian church would brag about their achievements and accomplishments, Paul brags about being stoned and shipwrecked and lost at sea and imprisoned and on the run and hungry and naked. He boasts about a thorn in the flesh that he asked God to deliver him from three times. 
And God said no. And Jesus answers him. And this is why Paul boasts. Jesus answers him and says, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in your weakness, Paul. My grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in your weakness. So Paul concludes he'll brag about every single weakness that he's got so that the power of Christ can rest upon him. And he concludes, when I am weak, then I am strong. When we are weak, when we come to the end of ourselves, when we realize we don't have what it takes, but only Jesus has what it takes to get us through it, that is when we are strongest. When we surrender to him, that is when his grace shows up and when he makes his awesome power manifest in our lives. I save this one for last because it's often the hardest to do. It's hard to do in the middle of the suffering. Sometimes it's only in hindsight, once we've seen God's grace carry us through it, that we can boast about that lost job, that miscarriage, that loss of a loved one, that pain, still boast. Boasting about yesterday's victories will prepare us to boast today about how God's grace will carry us through today's sufferings. That's how we suffer boastfully. As we close, if you're in the middle of suffering, you might be thinking, I can't do any of this. I can't suffer well. I can't suffer for the rewards. I can't suffer boastfully. It's just too painful. All I can do is kick and scream and beg for it to end. And I just want to say that that's okay. God loves that response to suffering. We see it in Psalms. David is raw with his anguish. God doesn't care if we suffer gracefully because we don't supply the grace he does. And so even if it's all anger and frustration and heartache, even if it's all anguish, even if it's just yelling at God, as long as it's directed to him, God loves that response because he is responsible. He is the author. He's the one who's going to hold us and love us through it. He's the one who's our high priest that can sympathize with all of our weakness. And he's the one who says, let us therefore come boldly to his throne of grace so we can find grace to help in our time of need. Let's pray. Father, um, I know some of your people are suffering today. I know that there are people who desire something that you've not provided or are in pain. And I just pray that by the power of your spirit, you make your presence known to us all. That you help us to see what you are doing through the suffering. You help us to see how you're transforming us how you're making us more like you. You help us to suffer with you. And I pray for deliverance. I pray that you meet each and every one of us at the point of our need. Thank you. We know you're with us. We know you're doing awesome and wonderful things in our lives. And so we just worship you and give you all 
the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.